Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the headless goblin statue animated by Dumbledore to save the life of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who can, in fact, believe that Fudge is concerned about Porky authorizations when Voldemort just showed up inside the Ministry of Magic. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I love that you just mentioned the Porky thing, because I feel like there are moments <laughs> in every text of where you just, you know, kind of have that warm feeling inside of, oh, the author really understands her characters. <laughs> yes. And... Fudge flailing to portkey authorization that moment was like, oh, yeah, she's got the character down. There's a reason that Percy really likes Fudge, and I think we just saw it. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that was really interesting is, like, make the choices that everybody makes, because uh, the portkey makes most sense if you're trying to get a bunch of people out, but yeah. I also <laughs> love that, um, and, it, you know, I'm sure it makes sense, like, in-universe, that... Uh, Harry's the only one that matters to literally anybody, but there's a whole bunch of people there and students, yes. and it's just like, yeah, it's it's Harry and and whoever's there. Like, and I know we couldn't have sent the rest of the students back at the same time. Like, what is going on here? Um, so we are on chapter thirty six of the fifth mm-hmm. book of Harry Potter. We are back, guys, after a we long hiatus. Yep. Um, I have done the math. If we actually keep on a week by week schedule. For just a few weeks, we could be done with this book by the end of the year. I'm just saying. It's real close. Um, It's real close. So we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points and then um, there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles. I will say this is an interesting chapter because while a lot of things happen, not much happens. Yeah. It's also real short. It's real short. Yeah, it's page by page. This is the shortest chapter you've had in like twenty. I know chapters. we're easing ourselves back into yep. to podcasting. We haven't done this for a while. We're just getting our legs back under us. Uh, so I'm left ass, and Sarah, I have the stopwatch ready. It took me way too long to find where I put it from the last time we recorded. How long do you think this chapter is going to take? Well, first of all, I am at least going to say the name of the chapter, which speaking of getting our legs back under us, um, I have neglected to do at the beginning I mean, of this that podcast. That has nothing to do with legs. Like, this was always a problem that we had. That's that's true. We do forget that fairly frequently. Uh, this one is called The Only One He Ever Feared. And mm. I am, I apologize to our listeners for my voice. I am a little under the weather. Um, so I am going to give myself a nice long estimate for mm-hmm. this one Seven minutes and 23 seconds uh <laughs> only. one minute and 50 seconds nice Go, going under the tube but you know giving yourself some breathing a little room. breathing room since i in fact cannot breathe correct i understand fully whenever you are ready harry's in disbelief fighting lupin to get to the veil but the battle's still going on although dumbledore's rounded up most of the death eaters neville is of course the one who comes to comfort harry but harry's distracted by sighting bellatrix and takes off after her he loses her in the spinning room of doors but catches up with her in the atrium when she taunts him he attacks with crucio but the unforgivable curse doesn't work quite the way it should you can't just use them you've got to mean it to want to cause pain and enjoy it not just fuel it with righteous anger 
They continue to duel around the statues as Bellatrix demands uh, the prophecy. She doesn't know it's gone, but Voldemort does, Harry tells her, a revelation that gives her real pause. In fact, he's come in person to deal with the situation. Voldemort appears quiet and dangerous in the middle of the Ministry of Magic, wasting very little time trying to hit Harry with a killing curse. But defenseless Harry is saved when a headless goblin statue leaps in front of him, courtesy of none other than Dumbledore. Voldemort shifts course, trying to attack the headmaster who pops in and out all over the room, animating statues as he goes, resolutely calling Voldemort Tom. Uh, Dumbledore infuriates him further by not trying to kill him. We both know that there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom, which Voldemort can't understand. Then the power is really on display with whips of flame becoming... um, Giant snakes, Fox appearing to take in killing curses, and strange smoke disappearing Voldemort. But he's not gone long, and even Dumbledore's frightened when Voldemort possesses Harry, imploring Dumbledore to kill him. But it's only for a few moments, even as Harry accepts death as a way to see Sirius again. Harry's sprawled on the floor of the atrium, which is uh, now filled with people, including a pajama-clad Fudge, who finally believes that Voldemort's back. Dumbledore takes charge over top of Fudge's orders to have him seized. He will explain everything when uh, Harry's back at school. Over Fudge's protests, he turns a statue head into a portkey, directs Fudge to remove Umbridge from Hogwarts, and has him call the Aurors off Hagrid. Uh, and then they touch the portkey and are gone. Perfectly in 146.60. Outstanding. Um, Welcome back to form, sir. Thank you. We're so, coming back with a bang. I have a question. Yeah. Um... Was Dumbledore, was the, uh, talking about the prophecy and Voldemort knows on purpose? You said that, that, that Bellatrix, uh, you know, didn't know that the prophecy, uh, was broken, uh, but Voldemort knows. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) But Voldemort doesn't know. Voldemort very clearly does not know. Oh, good God. (laughs) Oh, that took way too long for me to understand. That was Ow, BJ. simultaneously both a rough one and great, BJ. So thank you for that. Is that is that your only wizard wheeze, or I, would I you like to continue? Out of the gate. <laughs> God damn, BJ! It's too early in the morning for me to take those kind of hits. Uh, no, I, I have a number of other wheezes. Uh, we start off this chapter with a sentence paragraph again. Oh, please! Um, it's right after he hasn't gone. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, he yeah. did not believe it, comma, he would not believe it, semicolon. Still he fought Lupin with every bit of strength he had, colon. Lupin did not understand, comma, people hid behind that curtain, comma. He had heard them whispering for the first time he had entered the room, M-dash. Sirius was hiding, simply lurking out of sight, M-dash. End of paragraph. I would argue that for most of that paragraph, as I have argued many times before on this podcast that Rowling is simply showing the inner state of it's, it's stage Harry's distress. I'm, I'm however, disagreeing with you. However, that colon has no business in there. I, I feel like it should have been a semicolon. <laughs> it should have been a period. Okay. Arguing that things should have been periods in, in J.K. Rowling's writing is, is a losing battle. And one, one, I know. one that we I know. have decided is not reasonable to do. I know. Um, I'm just the, the colon is particularly egregious to me, though. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just realizing <laughs> right now that I definitely should have counted m dashes for this chapter because uh, oh, even there on are, the first page. It's a there are like <laughs> twelve on the first page, and it does you, not get better. Got, yeah, you've got m dashes. You've got ellipses. So, you've got a variety of extenders I've, throughout this. I've got m dashes in the middle of words on yes. this first page. Yes, <laughs> which I feel like should be an n dash. Okay, but my my biggest gripe of punctuation in this chapter comes on uh, oh, the third page, starting in but some. We have yep. 
four sets of ellipses, mm-hmm. each with four periods, except yep. for the one at the end of the paragraph, meaning that oh, no. every single other <laughs> one of them is a sentence, and the one that ends the paragraph isn't. Oh, no, oh, I can't find that. it, but that is that is truly terrible. Um, so it, it it's... Um, basically you flip one. Oh, it's on the second page. Sorry. Oh, on the second page. Um, and mm-hmm. so, but oh, some I part see. of him realized and, oh no, every single one of the ellipses ends a sentence cause it's a four dot ellipses. Yeah. <laughs> well, but to be fair, those are, those are complete sentences. They are. And Again, the last one is not. The yes. last one is not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's just really weird. I mean, welcome to the last few chapters of any harry potter book <laughs> yeah um things are chaotic and the punctuation reflects that i would like to i was just complaining about this 30 seconds ago and now i've flipped entirely <laughs> to defending it <laughs> as as is perfectly reasonable i sure. you, you know you're just trying to 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 fudge the goal line um in so fact. in fact i i just need to comment about neville telling harry that a brain attacked ron and Hermione's <laughs> unconscious. And this really mm. does sound like Hermione attacked Ron. <laughs> and now she's unconscious. And, and Ron fought back. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, I love it. I feel like we've had this before, but the silliness of Akio followed by literally anything and it anything. comes to you is, yes. is one of the silliest things in universe that nobody uses. Mm. Mm. Well, as I, I feel like they also kind of know that in universe too, right? Because in the fifth book or in the fourth book, when Harry uses Akio Broom in the middle of the Triwizard Tournament, everybody's like, "What the fuck? You can do that?" Yeah, um, which yeah, is super funny because like that—that's kind of it. Kind of feels like the entire universe just goes, "Wait, you can do that?" When somebody <laughs> uses a spell other than like. Everything we've seen in the universe so far is this is a very conservative understanding of magic, and anyone who pushes the envelope is an innovator. Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, Spencer, you should be intensely comfortable with this, because you would have read the 30-page magic manual, and if it didn't get stated in there, that is not how you use magic. And <laughs> We all can agree I would be very high-ranked at the Ministry of Magic for my just utter rule-following and never thinking beyond those limits. So do you think that... Weatherby would take credit for the work that you did, or would uh, you be under uh, separate management? Because I feel like you you would be one of Weatherby's lackeys and do like eighty percent of the work, um, and he would just submit it to Fudge for for approval. It'd be like Weatherby I, at all. I, I don't know if you've ever said a more condemning statement about me that I'm a Weatherby lackey. That that <laughs> that is your view of my value in the world. I, I don't know if I can handle that. I mean. Not your value in the world. I value you in a completely separate way other than the work that you do. Notice he did not say how much, folks. That is true. (laughs) Anything additional for Wizard Wheezing, BJ? Um, I think most of the rest of it is uh, quibbles, qualms, and questions. Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) We'll get there in a minute. Oh, no. Well... Uh, for newbies notes, yeah. I, I gotta give get, gotta give credit to the chapter at its very beginning. One hell of a good title. That is just a powerful title to see in the text coming down the way. Yeah. If you're looking at the table of contents and you come across the only one he feared, that one puts you on notice of what's going to be an exciting chapter. It gives me very uh, you know Skyrim trailer vibes. Uh, it also just has a wonderful picture on the front that looks like it's two guys in robes cane fighting. 
That's yeah. true. Um, which is Are those kendo sticks? Can we? I, I also just imagined uh, dueling conductors. Oh, I like that too. <laughs> All of these are good options. Oh. Uh, one thing I also like from the visual, and one thing we we see in the fight, I like the idea of shields in magical combat. I feel like you don't see that enough. I feel like most magical combat, combat including in just what little I've seen in the Harry Potter movies, is just straight offense. There's nothing yeah. resembling defense other than dodging. So the idea that someone could actually summon or bring with him a magic-resistant object just seems like it makes good sense, and it appears appropriately in the fight, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we I see will in the say movie. Go that ahead. in certain media, having a shield that just deflects magic is real silly. Well, when you have never seen any possibility that that might exist before, and in fact it is not coming from any source text, it is in fact a little silly. It's... I mean, that is kind of what we see in the chapter, so. Well, but we haven't seen a whole bunch of like real fight fights before. That's true. It, we, we've seen very much formal duels, and a shield yeah. we viewed as like poor form. I think so. yeah. Straight up, straight up, two wizards trying to kill each other. Gl- gloves are off. There is there, there's something in all kinds of unique. I mean, abilities. it's definitely like wands at thirty paces. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say that like in the movies, we might get it. <clears throat> excuse me, we might get it in text too. But there are like deflection spells. Yeah, but that always seems like really fiddly to me when Protego. I read about it. Yeah. Um, um, which just seems. I don't know how good your aim has to be, or how much like, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty good that uh, Bellatrix is fairly saucy. Otherwise, it might not have worked. Uh, what were you going to say before, Sarah? Just that. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm straight there with you. The idea that you know you have to just perfectly time blocking it away from your body seems a incredibly dangerous, and you know inviting not much of a margin of error, and b Lord help you, there's somebody next to you you like. Because that's oh, yeah, just, still going live in a direction. You've got some ricochet going on there. Uh, um, it's also interesting. I feel like it is a little frustrating to me that we got this duel, and and any other reading of this book would have like it feels like this duel. These duels would have gone differently, or these fights, because like we have had the entire book where they're training in defense against the dark arts and doing certain things, and then not. What, we got to see them in the prior chapters use their abilities on the fly when they're basically running away from an, ar- an army of Death Eaters and successfully surviving or holding off or whatever else using every aspect of the training that they've done before and some things they haven't. And also, every magical artifact that we've heard about before but now have been stuck on a shelf but are not going to come back to babify people at key, at key moments. So, that was their opportunity. Now, they're in the cinematic. They've they've made it to the boss. They've fought their <laughs> boss. Now we get to see you know the actual hero of the story come in in glorious high definition resolution. Yeah, um, which I'm gonna have a, an early quibble because it feels right now uh, mm. that that you didn't say is that Dumbledore's music in the the recap is a disappointment that we can never uh, clear up. So I did it in the last chapter when he actually appeared at the Ministry of Magic. That's it seemed fair. overkill to do it for I, this when we already knew he was there. Dumbledore is overkill with his theatrics. So That's true. And I would also, <laughs> I was... We're going to talk about that. <clears throat> well, uh, all right. I will bring this up at that point. Spencer, uh, continue. Well, but be- be- Before we get there, Lupin's voice breaking and every word causing him pain is an effective in-text moment of just yeah. realizing... There is a world beyond our immediate characters, and there is affected by events as, you know, our characters and we are. Yep. Um, th- that that was a nice little touch to have in there, that he is visibly barely holding it together, and it also feels 
very appropriate for the character that he is swallowing that pain to continue on as best he can. Mm. Especially when he is having to, like, prevent Harry from essentially killing himself to <sighs> follow Sirius. <laughs> I... I shouldn't be caught off guard at this point. I thought I think the last couple books have done a very good job of portraying it, but I am still surprised by Harry's tendencies towards violence. Mm-hmm. By Harry's just immediate shift to okay, murder. Mm-hmm. It it this we're we're at a crisis point now. This is a degree we've not seen before, where someone he loves has been harmed, whatever else. But his tone for much of this chapter, before he is just basically incapacitated, is. It, no thoughts but violence and bordering on self-destruction. I mean, it's murder. It's unforgivable curses that he's throwing around. It's longing for death and the end of pain. I feel like we talked mm. about this being Spider-Man 2. He's going through his emo phase, and so... I mean, he, teens, he's been so going yes. through his emo phase since book three, but... Mm. <laughs> it's a, it's a long so. phase. It yeah. doesn't end. Let's be very clear. <laughs> um, but... Mm. I actually, I think that, and God forbid I give her too much credit, but I think that Bellatrix has this right, though, where, mm-hmm. yes, Harry's Harry goes towards anger and violence very quickly, but he can't really use the unforgivable curses because it is righteous anger. It's not... Um, it's not some so, sort of cruelty, uh, necessarily. Right. It's not and sadism. So, like, no. Uh, no, it, it... It, it's, it's also very surface. Yes. It, it, Harry, Harry's anger, his desire for violence, is very much just like an instinctual, ow, you punched me, I punch back even harder. It's not, and now I shall kill your family. Yeah, it's not like a turning towards the dark um, in some way, which you could kind of read this chapter like that if you were doing just a surface level, like, oh my god, he's going out and using unforgivable curses, like, immediately. But that's not really, mm. like, he's just flailing. Yeah. And I think the weird part about the unforgivable curses is they have more of a, like, in how they've been presented, it's more of a restricted tone as, like, this is why they're unforgivable, because they're so powerful, they're they're problematic in many ways. It's not, like, that they're per se inherently evil. Yeah. Right. It's, it's it, more, it's, like, the situations and the um, mindset under which they are used is the unforgivable part. Right. This is like less using the dark side of the force kind of thing of where it's tainting your soul. It's more that mm, this this is the kind of tool which doesn't have a really positive means of using mm-hmm. it. Uh, I'm, I'm very much there with you. It's interesting to think about that of our main trio, I think Harry is the least successful in terms of processing and dealing with his emotions, which in a world of where that also involves Ron and Hermione is a hell of a statement, but I think, I, I think I'm confident in it. Not, not many like emotionally mature, self-reflective people here. Some of them think they are. The degree to which they are is debatable. Yeah. Uh, in terms of characters that are emotionally mature, Kingsley is a legitimately terrifying individual, and I feel like I keep saying that every chapter. I love him. He is he is my my everything. <laughs> when I read his name, <laughs> if I don't think hard, I come up with Ben Kingsley. And... <laughs> hey, ben, ben Kingsley walking on a scene would also, you know, draw your eye and impress you. Like, it doesn't miss. Last chapter we, we got the, we got the description of all the violence that's going on inside that room with the death gate and it just briefly says, and oh yeah, Kingsley's dueling two people at the same time and winning. And then in this chapter our first pop in is, oh yeah, Tonks is down, uh, Mad-Eye Moody is crawling around the ground to help heal people, 
And then there's Kingsley, having by implication defeated everybody that he was dueling, jumping in to now fight Beatrix <laughs> Strange. It's like, dear God, what is your resume, sir? I want to see what what has led to you being this impressive. I mean, the other thing is, like, we've never had a recovery for Mad Eye, so like, there, I, I, it feels like he is doing really well for being old, decrepit, and in jail for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Mad Eye is the very much the representation of at a certain point, no matter how old they are, if they've got that level of experience, that level of trained ability, they're still going to represent, even if their body's going to fail them in the Mad Eye is the home guard, and also the yes, but that's not the sound that somebody makes when you stab them in the neck. I don't know why you would use that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christopher Lake. Uh, Voldemort's introduction is delightful. It is, a, it is, a, it, I mean, th- th- there's a, it wouldn't even be appropriate to say is that Voldemort's music because it is purposefully just so surprising in text of where Harry is taunting, um, is it Bellatrix or Bellatrix? Bellatrix, yep. Bellatrix, um, on the subject of, you know, Voldemort can't hear you, he's not here. Can't I, Potter? Uh, a set a high, cold voice, and that's it. That's the line. Well done, powerful intro. Our blood runs as cold as the character to have that suddenly appear. But also very funny because the answer is, well, maybe not if you weren't here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Building off that, I do love that the very few scenes we've had of Voldemort, like more than half are primarily focused on him lamenting being surrounded by idiots. That is just like... That is not only the tone, that is straight the text that we get out of the man in half yes. the scenes we've had of him. Yeah. That is his I, constant state, yeah. It it just, it tickles me every so often to think of J.K. Rowling watching Spaceballs and then writing that into Harry Potter. <laughs> um, I'm surrounded by assholes. Keep firing, assholes! Um, I, Voldemort, though, is not playing anymore. Previously, he's been like a cat with a new toy, or just like a cat with a mouse that he assumes is fully trapped. At this point, he has reread the prior books before he's appeared in scene. It's like, okay, Harry Potter's here. You, by just presence, thwart my plans. I cast death. Yeah, um, I and think we've that... complained about this before too—that he just doesn't mm-hmm. do this. And here we here we go. He has he is learning. Yeah. So I, I think that the we I think the the explanations that you've given in the past, as I remember, it, like is relatively fair. Which is Voldemort. It is kind of in a bacta tank for the entire time up until now uh mm-hmm. like, like he's healing he's yeah. recuperating he's gaining power and uh the direct images that we've seen have felt very much like you know he's under bandages and yes like he he might have more power than harry does but uh he's so th- weak he's so weak mm-hmm. and i think well, obviously, and we get this in this chapter, more than anybody else, he understands how powerful Dumbledore is in a way mm-hmm. that maybe no one else does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple things have driven my mind Voldemort being cautious with what he, you know, uses around Harry whatever else is that, A, like you said, he is a broken series of rocks they're trying to stitch back together throughout much of the time that we've seen him up until, you know, like this moment now, or the last yeah. book. And point number two, the last time he went all out on Harry, it reverberated in a hell of a way. Mm-hmm. So there, no yeah, scarring. He has been, he, he has been very much. It was scarring. Well done, DJ. <laughs> uh, it was. It, the, the, he, there has been a certain element of let's have other people do this, or let me check to make sure that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And now that that's been verified, he's going for the kill. Uh, the fight scene is great. It's just like 
great. I'll be very curious to see how it's portrayed in the adaptation, because each person is fighting in a way that we understand of the character. Of where Voldemort is flashy, it's big, it's violent, it's almost theatrical in terms of the things that he's casting whatever else. Dumbledore, meanwhile, is, I love the symbolism, if he's effectively, the world itself is springing to his aid at every moment. It's like, you know, the elements and nature of the world are stepping in to thwart that event of where objects are jumping in front of him. Fox appears for the sake of taking t- taking a bullet. It It's representative of, you know, Voldemort is, it's all about him. It's all about the flash. It's all about the grandeur. It's all about him being the most powerful. Dumbledore, it's fighting with other things. It's the it's you know, assembled resources coming together for a common cause in terms of how it's done. And both of those bits of magic are equally successful, but it makes Dumbledore appear all the more powerful from how casual it is as he goes about it. And this is what I wanted to, what I was putting off from for from earlier, is that this, the fight scene in the book is incredible. It is even better on screen. Um, I think it's one of, I think it's an incredible, it's an incredibly done scene. It is, and it's, they don't change it very much, but I think it, it, for me, it enhances the experience of reading the Mm-hmm. Um, the scene that's also partially because I was thinking about this the other day in a different context not to derail us but like I don't love reading fight scenes I don't get much out of them I find it difficult mm-hmm. to track and I don't really know what's going on um, I'm specifically BJ thinking about this in the Wheel of Time reading where I find myself skimming a lot of the fight scenes which also gets me into <laughs> trouble sometimes um, but I think that this is a pretty clearly written fight scene for whatever else is going on in this chapter and um seeing it on screen in the way that they portray exactly what you were talking about, Spencer, um, between the two different styles and how they are interacting with the world. Like it is done on a scale that is really cool and impressive. Um, It also makes what happens next, which I find a little confusing, a little clearer. Gotcha. Well, on that adaptation point, I'll be very curious to see how Dumbledore's lines are delivered Mm. of where don't, Purely from just a on-paper brick read, if you just read these without context or knowing the character, these are cold-as-hell lines that we're getting out of Dumbledore throughout this yeah. chapter. I mean, we both know there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom. Merely taking your life would not satisfy me, I admit. <laughs> that could be one hell of a villain line right there, if you didn't necessarily know where it was coming from. Yeah. Indeed, your failure to understand that there are things worse than death has always been your greatest weakness. I can picture Darth Vader saying that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and they perfectly fit for the character. They're delivered with a professorial tone. But they're also... Dumbledore's always been purposefully and well done in the text being a character that is ambiguous, that no one perfectly understands him. And there is an aspect of violence. There is an aspect of threat associated with the character. Even just no one fully understanding what he's, full, what he's what he actually could be capable of. And so seeing lines like this with a very threatening undertone are... I will be very curious to see how well that's handled in the adaptation if these lines are lifted directly, because that is interesting, and that it's a, it's a fun to debate that aspect of the character. Is he just merely musing, or is he maintaining control while also having a very strong undercurrent of anger? Yeah. I mean, I, like I, some of it's ang- anger, but a lot of it just feels like <clears throat> he's been pushed into this as... Like, he's he's the balance of, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's the major force that uh, presumably in the last Wizarding World played a major role and is doesn't want to take that up again. Um, I mean, yeah. And I almost imagine that being 
you know, some of what we see in, in certain other, uh, like, media representations where, you know, this is old Obi-Wan that, like, I don't want to have to do this, but, like, I can fight at this level. Here we are. Yeah. I love the when one of the um, descriptors when Dumbledore is speaking in exactly this moment is, you know, you are quite wrong, said Dumbledore, still closing in upon Voldemort and speaking as lightly as though they were discussing the matter over drinks. And that is, like, <laughs> like that, the yeah. quintessential how Dumbledore is functioning in this moment um, descriptor for me. Mm -hmm. And with the calm tone, with it appearing as if the world itself, not by any direction of him, is just leaping in to assist him, the implication is that God has arrived. That, you know, a a deity has has approached on the scene. The kaiju moment has been reached. The, you know, the last switch has been turned on the wall of just the panic button. And now, you know, the potential unmaker of the world is in the room. And what's fun is Voldemort views that in the exact same light and is mostly just trying to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> yep. it's like, the, the, there is no limit to what can be accomplished in the room. The only limit is Dumbledore's willing to control himself when he's using magic. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Dumbledore's also further demonstrating that he's in full control. The fact that the two surviving statues are a house elf and a goblin and that they both are personally leading Fudge into the room and then take the time to applaud Dumbledore as he's delivering his little you know, speech and maxim to, to Fudge here is a nice little touch by Dumbledore in terms of getting a message across to Fudge here. Yep. Uh, now, in, ter- in terms of what Dumbledore's terms are, Sarah, you sent them out, but let me make sure I got them right. Um, he's done. There's no, he's, both his tone and how he presents this is he's tired of doing soft hands or soft eyes when it comes to Fudge. Uh, the terms are Umbridge is gone immediately. Uh, he's back at the Dumbledore's back at the school. The Aurors stop hunting Hagrid. Harry is back to the school, and you get a half hour of my time in exchange for that. that the, 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 those are the terms we're offering. Correct. Um, correct. And if he wants more, he can come to Dumbledore at the school. Uh, Dumbledore does not <laughs> uh, want to be here for any longer than he has to. With, with even the implication being, you can send me a letter. I'm not even sure I'm going to meet you in person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the offer is hmm? a little bit more. I could hand you your asses in magic right now or you can accept 30 minutes of my time and restore everything else so i don't have to do this all myself and (laughs) completely change what the balance of power is in the magicking world yeah Mm -hmm. um Uh, as you guys called out harry not being allowed to be present for any moment of when actual events occur that would have you know world-changing importance or any relevance to what the plot's going to go back you know go in the direction of later it's I, it's so expected, I just kind of shrug at it, but as you guys called out, the fact they just send him w- a- away from the scene right now, but there are a lot of other people that actually need to go back to school right now. I, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing the strings that we need to end the chapter here right away before adults start talking. Yeah. But it, 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 it does not bother me too much at this point. At this point, I, I almost just kind of view it as an in-joke in terms of wrapping up every combat chapter of each book. <laughs> Um, but that is all from me. Uh, Sarah, do you, you have any thoughts on uh, who may have won or lost this chapter? I do. Yes, I do. The only thing that I want to point out, um, <clears throat> because I, I mentioned it in um, the recap, but we didn't talk about it here, is that the one moment when Dumbledore is not in control in this chapter, which I think is really interesting and telling, is when Voldemort disappears right before ah. um, right before he possesses, I guess, this is the moment I'm, it's a little unclear exactly what is happening because he only mm-hmm. does it mm-hmm. for like a couple of seconds and it's a little weird what's 
what's actually going on here. But that that moment when Voldemort disappears and Dumbledore doesn't know where he is. And I my reading is that he suspects what might be about to happen. That's the one moment where the text is very clear. Dumbledore is frightened. Um, Yeah. And anytime Dumbledore is frightened, like, I think that we should sit up and take notice. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't comment on that because I didn't fully understand yeah, exactly weird, what was happening. I don't know. I've read this does, like a dozen times at this point. I don't know exactly what happens. I think that it's a, I think that it's a possession, um, but I don't know why it only lasts for the time that it does. Maybe it's just like a sort of quick flail out from Voldemort before he was already leaving. I'd be interested if you have interpretations. I've never quite known how to read this. I mean, what we see is we see Voldemort disappear, disapparate. Bellatrix is still there. Yes. We're going to keep track of that because Bellatrix is going to also disappear with Voldemort helping her in a second. Yes. Off screen. Yes. He's, Harry's scar explodes he starts speaking with Voldemort's voice effectively asking Dumbledore to kill him Dumbledore freaks the hell out clearly not expecting this course of events yeah Harry is begging and longing for death Harry basically passes out and then when Harry comes back to Voldemort's gone Bellatrix is gone with somebody else saying that I saw Voldemort he ran over and you know grabbed Bellatrix and took her away yeah and then here we are so uh the- I mean, it raises questions to me to what degree Voldemort is still fully corporeal or what ability he has to go incorporeal for a minute because it seems like he, you know, disapparated, possessed Harry, then reappeared, grabbed Bellatrix, and then disappeared again. Yeah, and it seems, I don't know, maybe there's something with the, like, this was such a short a short possession because it's not really something he's supposed to be able to do. Like, it seems like it takes a lot of effort, too. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that he's inter- it's interesting that he uses that moment to have Harry speak with his voice asking Dumbledore to kill him. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange moment. Um, it's just weird. And as you said, the fact that Dumbledore responds to it with an even mix of fear and confusion himself just highlights how strange it is. Yeah. This is not something he was prepared for in a way that he otherwise was in complete command. Yeah, I, I think that it's unclear what... Dumbledore knows about Voldemort and Harry's connection. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's, I don't know, there seems to be some aspect of Voldemort being able to go into a snake and go into and possess other things or change into other things. That's true, yeah. Um, and this feels like, uh, I feel like information that we might get next book could lend some explanation as to what's going on here and it Mm -hmm. would surprise Dumbledore that this is the case unless he knew already which I don't know yeah I just know the name of the thing and kind of things about it Mm -hmm. it also I feel like highlights one of the only weaknesses that Dumbledore practically has I mean besides Dumbledore willingly fighting with one or both hands behind his back is just is the nature of how he goes about things it's those he cares about and those around yeah it's that you can't really defeat Dumbledore directly. He's broken. That, that That's part of an aspect of the character is that he is the most magically powerful thing in this universe. But he still has human concerns and cares. And the moment that one of those is under threat, the, the veil drops a bit when it comes to uh, this aura of just complete security and control. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But when... Winners and yep. losers, Sarah. Uh, so, I mean, I would say that Dumbledore won this chapter, right? <laughs> Like literally, or wait, like yeah, like he won. He won twice, really. 
Mm-hmm. It, 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 I, I mean, we're, and we're coming off a win of where him, him arriving just in the middle of the, um, uh, not, not Orgs, what's the name of, what's the name of our group? The Death Eaters? Uh, the, oh, no, Order of the Phoenix. Actually, Order of the Phoenix, yeah. Are, are barely even holding on. He just casually appears and just ends the fight, basically, when it comes to everybody in the room. Now he walks in and duels Satan, Death, however you want to style Voldemort, who comes here and makes him run the hell away. And then he gets to talk shit to Fudge from a position of utter power. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, wonderful. I, I think Kingsley needs an honorable mention. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And yes. Spencer, I'm really entertained that the uh, title of the book was uh, The Straw That You Are Grasping. The, <laughs> the Order of the Phoenix is, in fact, the title of the book that we have been reading for like a year and a half. When, when was the last time I looked at the cover, people? It's been a while. I don't know. Fair, I'm just, fair enough. you know. Um, okay. So Dumbledore, Kingsley, honorable mention, as he should be in this and all things. Um, mm-hmm. And... Which also, we've just been calling him Kingsley, which is fair, that is his name, but I would like to point out for the record that his full name is Kings- Kingsley Shacklebolt, and that is an incredible name, and we have not mentioned it yet this episode. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. I, I, I was I'd completely forgotten that was his first yeah, name. Yeah, Kingsley is in fact his first name. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Shacklebolt the does feel like inconsistent. the name of a broom. Mm. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, losers, I feel like we actually have... Uh, Two specific options here. Mm-hmm. Well, we have actually several. Three decent options. We have Voldemort, who is obviously yep. obvious. Uh, we have mm. Fudge, who is my personal favorite for yep. loser mm. of this chapter. Uh, who's your third, BJ? Is it Bellatrix? Is yep. it Harry? Bellatrix. It's Bellatrix, yeah. I mean, Harry, it, this is just classic Harry. Like, whatever. Harry's just along for the ride <laughs> yeah. on this chapter, to mm. be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's not even much of a roller coaster. It's not like yeah. it goes particularly badly for him. He's in pain for a while. He's, well, yeah, he's, but I Sarah guess he's Life in emotional pain. pain for the whole thing. But yeah. Um, yeah, Bellatrix actually does have a pretty rough chapter. I mean, she is literally stuck under a statue. She's stuck under <laughs> Until a statue Voldemort and then rescues her. taken off by a master that seems to enjoy killing his followers after failure. Also true. Um, and is, I don't think he. I don't think he answered for his threatened murder, but he has explicitly said, "I will deal with you." There later. will be punishment That's... of some description. Yep. These are all good options. I find it difficult to not do Voldemort for this chapter, just because of the particularly flashy way in which he has in which he has lost. Yeah. It, um, it, it's also. It, it's also you know it's it's, it's his appearance on stage. Yeah. He's gone through Cotillion, but now he's being revealed to the world. <laughs> it's, it's and you know, coming he, out party. <laughs> he, and he tripped and fell on the on, on you know edge of his dress. Oh, no. it's just, he's the Bellatrix the, of the ball. Now I want. Uh, now I want this chapter written in the style of Jane Austen, <laughs> <laughs> which it, I in fact might do this afternoon. That might be my afternoon. <laughs> But, but it's re- it really feels like that of where we just got several books of, you know, him getting ready for this moment yep. of when he reveals himself again to the world and it's taken an L real hard. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, this definitely wasn't the uh, place that he wanted to reveal himself. This was just no. like, you know, he was waiting for uh, the actual invitation and this was like a lesser a lesser party. But like he had to go because yeah. mm-hmm. like. His mom's he, best friend was throwing it. Yes, he did not. He he did not. His plan was to stay. Like all he wanted was to sit wherever he is camped out right now and receive the prophecy. Like that was 
yeah. the the win for him. He didn't want to be here. Yeah. He didn't want to do any of this. Yeah, he he was not expecting Heathcliff to show up at this party. <laughs> that, you know, that, 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 was, that was something to deal with later to emotionally prepare for, but there he is. Yep. Um, I would, and as much as I would personally like to put, pick Fudge as the loser of this chapter, I don't remember exactly, but I think we might have chapters in the future where Fudge is was really more loser. specifically losing than yeah. he is this well, chapter. And, and I mean, Fudge's loss here is still relatively in private. It still is just being castigated by one person and some lackeys. Yeah. Now he's going to have to go into the world and implement these things. And how is that anything other than a loss? Yeah. So. Except to, except to the world. Except to the world. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's actually, great the, the world. world is winning here. <laughs> um, all right, questions. Uh, you've answered several. We've, we've talked through several of mine about what the hell is happening during the possessions. So oh, yeah, yeah. But one that I want to I just highlight a little bit before then I didn't talk about is that we mostly see Dumbledore responding defensively or using broad area magic. Except one moment of when even Harry comments that Dumbledore summons an amazing amount of magical power, mm. like terrifying amount that Harry had never seen before and could not recognize, and he casts it basically straight at Voldemort's heart. Is this right before um, when Voldemort becomes like smoke, or is it a now, different it, moment? It, I'm I'm forgetting it, which one it, it is. What well, this may help us find it of where after it hits it. Hits this is when I think when Voldemort actually summons the shield. Oh, okay. And it makes a loud gonging noise, and then Voldemort almost like hesitates a second. Oh, like, I am see. I alive? Yep. Am I alive? And then he comments, "Yes." I, I, a certain mix of either confusion or mocking. You do. You don't. You're not seeking to kill me, Dumbledore. Yeah. And that's when you know uh, Dumbledore says, "You know there are other ways of destroying a man, whatever else." Mm-hmm. Is this a specific spell? Is this a specific thing that he is doing? This feels pointed and intentional on Dumbledore's part in a way that Harry doesn't get. We don't necessarily get, but it feels relevant. It does. We, I, do, I don't know what this is, and I don't know that we get it explained, but it is the way that it's talked about in text is super interesting, especially the casualness with which Dumbledore is able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um this this, guy? this feels like one of those moments where there's a reveal at some point that Dumbledore is Gryffindor. Yeah. Like, mm. OG Gryffindor. Uh, <laughs> Sur- survived through the ages. Is Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, because, like, Dumbledore's magic isn't everybody else's magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, well, sort of one of my other questions at, like, in, in more... Yeah. Sp- specific parts but like the magic that Dumbledore does is not the magic that every other wizard learns to do yeah it, I, I, I love you highlight that. about that later I, I love you highlight we've been talking about Wheel of Time because we're all separately reading Wheel of Time at very different points yeah. in that series <laughs> but I, I've gotten to the moment of where I've now discovered that there's a more ancient form of magic that the existing school of wizarding is trying to you know suppress whatever else it involves wolf friends which is just the greatest <laughs> thing ever but there isn't there is an aspect of Dumbledore that seems like it's a common thread there, where it seems like he is tapping into an aspect or a category of magic that is either outside or older than what is more commonly taught in the world. And it seems to give him an upper limit on power that is beyond what we otherwise see. We This will be discussed in a later book. Um, and we only have two books left. And the fact that I am not saying the next book means <laughs> that it will be discussed in two in books. Book. Yeah. <laughs> 
Understood. Um, um, I'll, I'll be interested to hear whether it's a satisfactory answer for what we're talking about now. Um, but we like actually learn a lot more about Dumbledore's past and background um, yeah. in the last book. Um, and so, like, but this plays out a lot in, like, this is a, a somewhat frustrating chapter for me because it it's a, well, magic isn't squidgy chapter. And there's squidgy magic in it. Because, like, Bellatrix is like, oh, your spell didn't work because these are the elements that need to go into magic. And then, Harry, you don't have it. And then Dumbledore's just like, yeah, about that. Um, well, but he's not doing that type of curse. Right. He, he's just doing whatever. He, he's doing Dumbledore things. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's all still pretty squidgy. Um because like the, this is the the rule about how unforgivable curses work, but like the idea that they're still emotionally driven, I feel like that's kind of inherently squidgy. Yes, um, and and I agree. Like and and that's fine. But it and I guess there's the uh, other part of it, which you know, if we're accessing a, a, a minor part of magic, and this kind of feels like. Um, I think we've talked about the uh, superstitious, superstitious pigeons um, where at some point somebody decided that magic was really powerful and to do mm-hmm. uh, to do magic, they were going to make them do like weird things to get mm-hmm. it working. Mm-hmm. Con- constrain them. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it was like, well, what, the best way to do that is like, we're going to limit the power by being like, all right, well, you have to say it with in a certain way. Uh, and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. You, you have to three pinches of salt over yep. one shoulder every time. You know exactly. You have to hold your wand in a certain way and gesture a certain way. Uh, you know it's a it's a little D and D esque where it's just like all right, well, there's this physical component that you have to have, and you have to say the right things, and you have to move the certain way, and like if you get it exactly right, it works well, which Hermione really likes. And then yes. you're you're touching a sliver of the actual magic power. Uh, where Dumbledore is just like, yeah, you can do that, and that does work, but that's not the cool spells. <laughs> I'm going to stand over mm-hmm. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that does feel right. And, you know, in that, I like that as a, I kind of like that as a distinction, because it also feels like Voldemort is kind of straddling those two lines, because, like, he is trying to figure out, okay, what are the words and actions that get me to be able to do what I want? And he's deeply invested in like the mechanics of how things work. Think about like how he actually came back in book four, which was very constrained to the like old magic, but he feels like he's trying to get to the Dumbledore place where he is not constrained by these things. And Um, which I think is actually a super interesting distinction. Yeah. And that might explain why Dumbledore was surprised and scared about uh, Voldemort's possession of Harry. Cause that, yeah, that feels Ooh, like he's tapping into this shit too. Yeah, exactly. And also like why like Dumbledore has taken a special interest in Harry that he doesn't, he keeps Harry in the dark about a lot of things. Cause Harry maybe more than other people uh, mm-hmm. is able to tap into that greater pool of magic. Yeah. Um, like uh, we talked about like the disappearing glass very early on. I think that was book yep. one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as a, a thing that happens to other wizards, but, like, unclear what happens to other wizards and how strong it is. 
Yeah, different different things happen for different different people to indicate that they have magic ability. I think that like I think it was maybe Neville who was like thrown off a balcony by a by a um relative who was trying to force magic out of him and he bounced and like that was the indication the first indication <laughs> that he was magic. Interesting. Oh, good lord. I know. His uh, grandmother is terrible. His but grandmother like, is the worst. <laughs> but, like, we didn't know at that time, but disappearing magic is yeah. very high-level magic. Is very high-level magic, yep. And so... Yep. Good point. Harry being able to do that, you know, I mean, I guess probably this is a bit of retconning rather than anything else, but, like, Harry being able to tap into Dumbledore magic or bigger magic... Yeah. Is is sort of the like we're dealing with we're dealing with nukes. Like Dumble yeah. Dumbledore is a nuclear power. Uh Voldemort might be able to figure it out sometimes and Harry accidentally has some and everybody's everybody that knows to be scared is scared. I like this idea and I don't know if it's if it's intentional if it was intentionally put in there or not, but I do think that there is something to there like Part of the explanation for the squidginess of the magic around Harry is exactly this, right? Hermione is an entirely rule-based magic follower. Mm-hmm. She never makes anything happen by accident. Harry makes shit happen by accident all the time. Um, yeah. Things just happen around Harry. He's a little Taviran, actually. We might <laughs> we might think of him as a little Taviran. Um, you guys just reminded me of something with respect to that Bellatrix scene of calling out Harry that he didn't have the right emotional state of the spell. Did you guys ever see the movie uh, Fright Night? No. no. <laughs> good, good, good movie that we can all watch at some point in the future, but it was it, it's an aspect of like vampire lore where anybody can hold a cross, but it only works if you have faith. And there's a, cer- oh, there's a certain thing going here, too. Anyone can, cast, anyone can cast a killing curse or an unforgivable curse, but if you don't actually have the right internal, an internal state of being, it's not going to mm. work. Any further questions from you, BJ? I think that's it. Yeah. Our favorite uh, part of the I, episode. <laughs> uh, pulling it up, pulling it up. Oh, I am so excited for oh, the squidginess that second, is this I next. You, you meant your favorite part of the episode was when I was done with questions. I mean, <laughs> also true. The transition between these two pieces of our episodes okay. is very exciting for me, BJ. <laughs> gotcha. So next time we have chapter thirty-seven, the lost prophecy. Great again, a great chapter title, and one of the most complete oh. image, complete and direct images we've ever had of Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, I did realize I had another question that I do want to ask. Okay, uh, and not I fair, think but sure, go ahead. Dumbledore does Dumbledore things, but yeah, this is the first time that we get more information about court keys. Yes, and we've asked in the past, and and I still we still don't have enough information, which is like Dumbledore just made a port key. I like my under. I thought that you had to ha- like figure out both ends, but that's not what Dumbledore did he, does. Did he make one, or has he just stored one? He made. He one. made one. He oh, made okay. one then half that, of one. That then that's kind of amazing. I don't. I think you. I think the confusion here is that when we have seen port keys before, specifically, they were um, being used for the World Cup. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And. I guess we also saw Voldemort using them to get Harry to the graveyard to do the thing. But yeah. when we really discussed them in terms of the, the Quidditch World Cup, we talked a lot about the other end 
um, because there were so many people coming in. It was so highly regulated by the ministry that they were very careful about having somebody there. But the port key, you could just make one and it will send you, like you can in the moment make one. And you can go wherever. And you can specify where you are being sent. Yes. But because because the like bureaucratic logistics of um, the Quidditch World Cup were so complicated... We talked a lot about what happens on the other right. end and how they had done that. Um, but that's not like necessarily inherent to port keys um, themselves. They just had to make sure that people were coming to the right spot and being monitored when they were yeah. doing so. Uh, the The only thing that I'm going to be sad about is that no one in this world is going to make Juan's port keys. <laughs> Nope. And it's just a disappointment. <laughs> Can confirm that does not happen. <laughs> I mean, I mean, because like it, it breaks, it breaks the world. Like, sure, it, yeah. <laughs> Dumbledore could just make Voldemort's wand a port key, and the other side goes into Azkaban, and we're done. <laughs> I, I wonder if the explanation. Obviously, we do not get an explanation for that because it never comes up. But I wonder if there is like something about you cannot enchant. You cannot make a port key out of like such a magical object because the magics conflict in some way and it yeah. just doesn't work. That's yeah. going to be my headcanon for that. Yeah, but I mean, you also, could also just like throw, you could have port key pocket sand. <laughs> I believe that's called flu powder and you have to put it in a chimney. <laughs> Anyway, also, also for the record, I think sending Voldemort to Azkaban would basically be putting him in the candy shop. That's true. So oh boy, yeah. probably not the best yeah, idea. Fair enough. Uh, but when it, when it comes to this uh, picture for the lost prophecy, what, what what are we reading out of Dumbledore's eyes here? Even, even amounts of exhaust, exhaustion and also maybe a bit of sadness? This is one of the most detailed physical descriptions, of, uh, physical depictions I think we've gotten of a character. Of any character, out. yeah, yeah. Most of them have been very purposely stylized as being very blank or very being limited, almost doll-like. But this one, effort was made to convey a lot with this face. There is a lot of uh, a cross between uh, certain, like, mid-20th century's depictions of God and Santa. That's also true, yes. Um, And we have a fairly hefty chapter for this one, too. 24 pages is longer than we have gotten for a while. But it is the chapter in which things are explained, so... (laughs) We we always look forward to those. Yes. Uh, Sarah, my sympathies. I hope you enjoyed your break. Best of luck for your two minutes Uh, in the next chapter. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Y'all have very much enjoyed this chapter, very much enjoyed getting back into the flow of things, and, well, let's see if we can wrap up a book for the year. Sounds good. We've got our goal. Bye, guys. Bye.